All right. Well, welcome to Life After Row. Um, my name is Kurt Weaver, and I <clears throat> I'm the director of strategic partnerships for Pennsylvania Family Institute, and I'm also the director of the Church Ambassador Network. And I just realized that I'm wearing the exact same thing tonight <laughs> as I did in the video. That's very embarrassing, so I'm sorry for that. Uh, so you guys are probably like, huh, that guy looks familiar on there. Um, but we're, we're grateful that you're here. Um, you know, uh, we might have a small crowd, but, um, you know, I've, I've become uh, more aware over uh, recent days mm -hmm. that God doesn't need lots of people to accomplish his will in this world. In fact, if you think about uh, church history and you think about even biblical times, God was always using a small group of people, a remnant, uh, to accomplish his righteousness in this world. You think of Israel. Israel was not uh, famous for being a large country, uh, a large people, a large nation, but God used them in a mighty way. Um, and you think of other accounts in Scripture. Even Jesus himself only had 12 disciples. Uh, in fact, at the end of Jesus' ministry, when he was ascending into heaven, uh, there was only like 500 people uh, still there, you know, um, and uh, witnessing that event. And so um, sometimes we can consider ourselves, oh, we look around and say, wow, you know, um, boy, I wish there were more people involved. And yes, uh, we certainly do want to see more people involved. Uh, but I also want us to take heart uh, here this evening. So the, the nexus of this event, Life After Rome, we have been doing these events around the state, and they've been very encouraging, actually, um, was uh, a number of uh, months ago, actually, now, uh, the, uh, the Roe decision was leaked. You guys remember that? Before the decision came down in June, it was actually leaked, I think it was in January or February, oh, it was May. It was early May, so not as long as I thought. But uh, early May, it was leaked, and I had a pastor call me, and he said, Kurt, I'm so excited about this leak. I hope this leak holds. And I'm like, yes, me too. And then he said this. He said, you know, I wonder, though, if we need to be careful what we wish for. He says, are we, as a faith community, really ready for this? And it took me back a little bit. I thought, well, are we? Are we truly ready for this? Um, maybe in some ways we are, and I, as you think about it, there's many ways that we probably aren't ready for a post-Roe world, but we have to start somewhere. We have to start having the conversation. We have to not grow weary in continuing to do the good work that many of us have been doing for years in the pro-life movement. Um, and in fact, we need to start gathering in more people. We, start, we need to start making our voices heard because I really do believe the, the overturn of Roe v. Wade is a gift to all of us, a gift to our state, to our nation. And we have to consider ourselves, what are we going to do with this gift? Are we going to be a good steward with this gift that God has given us? Well, before I get too long-winded... Um, I want to introduce our panelists, or I want our panelists to introduce themselves to you all. So we're going to pass, start at the end there with uh, Pastor Tim. Sure. Well, again, uh, I'm Pastor Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, pastor Mark, our lead pastor, was supposed to be on this panel tonight, and he's, he's sick. So I've asked Kurt to just give me softball questions tonight. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, my role here is pastor of outreach and ministry. You're like a pitch hitter. Like, they bring you in to hit the home run. So that's how I'm, I, I'm using I, baseball I analogy right now. So yeah. I think the first question should be, what's on his socks? I'm very distracted over here. These, this is Batman. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank well, you. We, Thank you for that. If we're comparing socks, I don't know if you can see this or not, but I have Eagles socks Ooh. on. Ooh. And uh, so when we planned this event, we didn't know that the Eagles were playing tonight and, of course, against Dallas. And we're in Dallas. I don't know what this means <laughs> for tonight. We're, well, we're in the original Dallas. We don't have time, we don't have time to get into that. But th this was Dallas before Dallas, Texas. Oh, that's good to know. And, the, yeah, I, I won't get into it. We, we digress very it quickly. Is, it is an interesting history. So I'm the pastor of outreach and ministry mobilization. So uh, what that means for outreach, we as a church are committed to being a church that lives in community. So we have a food pantry, we have a closed closet, we have a number of other things that we're doing uh, to help serve our community. And we partner with different organizations like uh, Pathways and Care Portal so that we can be a light to the community to help those who are in need. Uh, we also have a podcast. Um, so that's just another way that we seek to equip people in our church and in our community. And we actually did uh, a series, a, a, a small series, I guess we call it a mini series, back uh, earlier this year on the sanctity of human life. And uh, Jeremy Samick, who's on council with PA Family Institute, joined us for one of those episodes, as did Christina. And uh, if you have not uh, had a chance to listen to that and you want just some more information or uh, just different ways that you can be encouraged and equipped uh, to have this conversation, I'd, I'd encourage you to check that out as well. Christina? My name is Christina Kutzmasker. I'm executive director of Pathways Pregnancy Help Center in Kingston. And what we do is when a woman comes in, she's pregnant, she's not sure of her options, she's scared, we're going to come around her with uh, Christ love and information and support and see exactly how we can help her for the best choice, and that's for life. Manny? Um, I'm Mandy Chapman. I am the former regional manager for Care Portal of Luzerne and Wyoming Counties. Um, also a foster and adoptive mom to many. I have seven children. So uh, life is very important to me. <clears throat> and also equipping the church to wrap around vulnerable kids and families. I'm Cheryl Allen, and I am a retired Pennsylvania Superior, Superior Court judge. I said that because I know that Kurt would say it if I didn't say it. It's true, I would. <laughs> But I am currently serving uh, with the Independence Law Center. Um, I'm of counsel, and that is the, um, an arm of the Pennsylvania Family Institute. And it's, it's been a great experience so far. It's like a new career for me, and I'm happy to be here tonight. Let me just say some more about <laughs> Judge, because she's very modest. Um, but the judge was also the first um, African-American female to sit on the Superior Court here in PA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that is a wonderful accomplishment. Um, and I, she doesn't like this, but I often call her our rock star. Um, our, our organization went from here to here in our, uh, our statue when we brought her on. So um, it's, been, it's been great having her on staff and uh, she's been traveling around the uh, not country, that's the state with me <laughs> in doing these events. So um, you're going to really enjoy uh, hearing from her and all of our uh, panelists here this evening. But I wanted to dive in a little bit because, um, Pastor Tim, we are, oh, first of all, before I go into that, um, 
Tonight, if you have any questions during the evening, uh, please text them to this number. So if you want to take a picture of it or uh, get it on your phone there. Um, we won't be doing uh, an open mic questions tonight, but you can text them. And uh, our, our first off, you want to give a, a round of applause to our worship leader, Robert, or Roberto, as I call him. <laughs> Roberto Albino, who's part of the church ambassador team, and also uh, Tina, I'm not sure where she is there in the back. She's part of our team as well. Uh, but uh, Roberto has been engaging the Latino community uh, all over the state and doing a great job in uh, engaging those churches. But he's also a very talented musician, and he'll be fielding your questions tonight as well. So uh, you can uh, text your questions throughout the evening uh, to that number. Um, so, oops, go back here. We'll just keep it there for now. Um, so, uh, Pastor Tim, so, you know, here softball. we are. Softball questions. Softball questions. So, here we are, you know, um, we're doing this event, Life in the Row, and um, we have to start with what's most important. Why do we even, why should we even care about this issue of life? Um, and we have to go to where we have to go with all things, this theological piece. So what is the biblical worldview when it comes to the sanctity of life, which should really inform why we care about this issue? Yeah, that's a good question because Scripture needs to be the foundation for this conversation that we're having. Uh, all, all life, all human life, uh, pre-born up until uh, the last breath, are created in God's image. So you consider that the almighty infinitely perfect God created us in his image, that says a lot about the value that we have. And you go to Genesis 1, right in the beginning, it says that we were made in his image. But then I think John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he so loved image bearers that he sent his son, took on likeness of man, to die for image bearers. That's how much he values human life. So all human life is created in his image. And because of that, we have inherent dignity and worth in God's eyes. Yeah. And if, if, we, if we own that type of understanding about life, it's not just the preborn, obviously, but we have to care about the preborn. It's, it's all people, um, even those that we disagree, even on this particular topic. You know, I think about uh, friends that I have or relatives that I have, and I'm sure you have them as well. Uh, that might disagree on the life issue. Um, and we can think very poorly of them, but I think when we have a full understanding of what the dignity of life really is, that every single person has dignity and value, it kind of changes our perspective. And um, I think it's really helpful, certainly when we come into this conversation, even the way that we talk about it, the way that we interact with people when it comes to uh, the life issue. Yeah, when you look at even going to, to Exodus, the Ten Commandments. I mean, these are the Ten Commandments he gave to Israel. Exodus 20, 13. Do not murder. Don't take the life of an image bearer. That's how much God values that. He does not want to see that life taken away because that's, that's not for us to, to take into our hands. You know, since 1973 here in America, um, over 60 million, and that number can sound big and even hard to comprehend. Over 60 million 
babies have been aborted in our country since 1973. Now, many times we can think about numbers and... Um, Sure. There we go. Oh, well, you're about to hear the sounds. There you of go. BBs Watch this video. Side of a tin can. For every BB that strikes, it represents ten thousand lives lost in the wars of America's past. Ten thousand lives for every BB. This is the reality of what is occurring in your country. The American Revolution. the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, the Korean conflict, the conflict in Vietnam, September 11th and the War on Terror. Since 1973, the war of the unborn I don't know about you, it's, I remember the first time I heard that video, I remember thinking to myself, Lord, make it stop. <laughs> um, the BBs that just kept coming and hitting that tin can was just deafening. And you think, oh my goodness. Because we can talk about all the abortions that have taken place in our world. And numbers can, can numb us sometimes, stats can numb us. But when you hear it played out in regards to all the other lives that have been taking, taken in our country, uh, it is uh, very, very, very horrifically significant. Uh, beyond comprehension, really. And, you know, many think that, you know, Roe v. Wade is what introduced abortion. And now since Roe v. Wade has been overturned, that abortion now is illegal and that's actually not true. <laughs> and so, Judge, I wanted to ask you, you know, what, tell us a little bit about the Roe v. Wade decision. Um, what was the nexus of all that? Well, Roe v. Wade, um, as you know, was decided in 1973. And it challenged an anti, uh, an abortion ban in the state of Texas. And Basically, the Supreme Court, which consisted of nine men, and I point that out because the uh, pro-abortion movement always says that men should have no say. So that's all, that in and of itself ought to be reason to overturn the case, correct? <laughs> Amen, yes, that's right. 
But anyway, the case was decided by nine men, and basically what they decided was that there was a constitutional right to privacy, and that, you know, that everyone had a constitutional right to privacy. Now, never mind that the Constitution says absolutely nothing about the right to privacy. The closest that it comes would be the Fourth Amendment, which uh, talks about unreasonable searches and seizures um, under, in, in, in criminal cases, but there is no constitutional right to privacy in the, in the uh, Constitution. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was certainly a very pro-abortion uh, Supreme Court justice, frequently argued that Roe was decided on faulty grounds uh, because she understood that there was no such thing as a constitutional right of privacy. And she always felt that the case should have been decided um, under equal protection, uh, under, the, under the concept of equal, equal protection. So Roe v. Wade, just as Justice Alito said in his opinion, has been on a collision course with the Constitution since its inception. When the Supreme Court um, in late June, through um, Dobbs versus Mississippi, or Jackson um, Women's Care Center, or Jackson Women's Care Center versus Dobbs, um, when that case was decided, all the Supreme Court said was there is no constitutional right to an abortion. And in, in other words, the, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution. And so the Supreme Court made the only decision that it could possibly make uh, to stand on solid constitutional grounds. Did that mean that abortion is banned throughout the country? Not at all. It simply means that it's not a federal question and that abortion, um, the right to regulation of abortion should be returned to each individual state. Returning the question to the state means that the people of that particular state through their state representatives, state senators, would decide what was right for that particular state. So in the state of Pennsylvania, um, nothing has changed. In fact, uh, we, let, me, let me pause you there for a second. So, so what is the current law here in PA when it comes to abortion? The current law today is the same as it was before Roe v. Wade uh, was overturned. Uh, a woman can have an abortion up to 24 weeks in the state of Pennsylvania. Six, six months. Up to six months. And um, the woman, if the woman is under, or the child is under 18, uh, the, the parental consent is needed unless that child or a teenager goes to um, a counselor or someone that shows them how to go to court and get court and court order bypassing the uh, consent of their parent. And I might add that through the abortion bypass law in Pennsylvania, a juvenile can get an abortion without parental consent and without parental knowledge. And uh, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's an issue that we have in this state. But abortion is live and well in Pennsylvania. 
Now, abortion, um, Medicaid funding cannot be utilized to pay for a uh, an abortion unless it is through rape, incest, or to protect a woman's health. And I might add that gynecologists and obstetricians have said that there's never a need to uh, utilize abortion to protect a woman's health because abortion involves the intentional ending of a pregnancy, which results in a, 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 a dead baby, put simply. And that is not a medical proceeding procedure, contrary to what some politicians might argue. But what we have here in Pennsylvania is a movement by Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers who are seeking to have taxpayer-funded abortions. So we have a case that's pending before our Pennsylvania Supreme Court. It's called Allegheny Reproductive Women's Center um, versus the Secretary of Health and Human Services of the state of Pennsylvania. This case is going to be argued on October 26th in Pittsburgh, where they are requesting and, and asking the court to find a constitutional right to abortion in the state of Pennsylvania and to find a right to taxpayer funding. Mm. If something is a constitutional right, then taxpayer funding has to be provided. It's just like a, a criminal court defendant who cannot afford an attorney because they're entitled to an attorney under the Constitution. So this is what the abortion movement is attempting to do in Pennsylvania. That's why um, our state legislature in the later part of June passed, uh, took the first steps toward uh, amending the Pennsylvania Constitution to include a life amendment. And this life amendment would not ban abortion in Pennsylvania, it would simply say that the Pennsylvania Constitution does not confer a right to abortion, and consequently the Pennsylvania Constitution does not um, confer a right to taxpayer funding. So Judge, basically what we're dealing with here, mm -hmm. am I correct that this is like the Roe v. Wade of PA? That would be a correct assessment. And, and our concern is, and, and, you, and you, we've seen since the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, we've seen municipalities such as Pittsburgh and Allentown pass city ordinances um, to protect the right to an abortion. Um, we've seen resolutions passed by townships. And I, I might add, none of this is legal or appropriate because the Supreme Court returned the right to regulate abortion to the states, not the townships, the boroughs, or the cities. But um, that's just how desperate this movement is. And in addition to that, you know, they are really challenged, some of these ordinances are really coming against pregnancy care centers by arguing that pregnancy care centers are fake clinics. They do not provide uh, full medical care uh, because full, a full clinic by their definition is a, cl is a clinic that provides an abortion. And I, and I do wanna make sure that, that um that we're able to talk about that, Christina. But I, before we get there, I did want to, I did want to mention one thing about the 
the lawsuit against PA mm -hmm. from the abortion industry saying that there is a constitutional right. Mm -hmm. um, I would also add, and I think you would agree, that it's not just the Medicaid money that would be uh, being used to fund abortion, but it would probably open up uh, abortion here in this state all nine months, which I would imagine it would, it would be hard then mm -hmm. to pass any pro-life legislation in this state if our court finds, finds mm -hmm. I would say, <laughs> a right to abortion or constitution. Uh, you're probably right, because there is a tremendous movement, and, and even on the na especially on the national level, which would come to Pennsylvania, um, on a national level, in response to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, um, Congress, the House at least, has passed twice now what they call the Women's Health Protection Act. And the Women's Health Protection Act is an act which would allow for abortion all the way up to the day, the due date of a baby. And it's pretty hard, it's, and, and in California, they've passed legislation that would enable uh, the, basically the killing of a baby even, beyond, even after it's born, up to 28 days. And so we have some pretty, um, pretty wicked things going on in our country, but this is what they're trying to bring to Pennsylvania. They want no limitations whatsoever right. on, on abortion. And they're willing to go to any lengths, to any lengths, uh, to have their way. Yep. So just to make you aware of what's happening, because a lot of people don't know this is happening, um, please be praying October 26th. Um, our PA Supreme Court is going to be hearing this case out of Allegheny. And um, please be praying for a good outcome. If you know anything about our state and our court systems and our PA Supreme Court, um, they are not very friendly to the pro-life movement mm -hmm. and um, very much pro-abortion. So they, they most likely will be ruling in favor of uh, the Allegheny Reproductive services, which is an oxymoron in and of itself, because they're not doing any reproductive health. And I, I would just like to add to that. Um, the case first went before the Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court, and the Commonwealth Court never decided the merits of the case. They simply decided that the Allegheny Reproductive Health Center, as well as the various pro-life or um, Planned Parenthood centers did not have standing uh, to bring this issue. And so they kicked the can down the road, essentially. But I'm hoping the same thing uh, applies or the Supreme Court takes the same position. Yeah. I think that's the minimum at, that, that we can hope for from them, that they would decide the standing issue. Uh, because there is solid case law with regard to what constitutes standing. Yes. But, that's, but that's the status right here in Pennsylvania, and we, we really need to pray. So pray for that and also be aware of the Life Amendment, which, is, uh, which we're so grateful for. We really do have a pro-life uh, legislature right now. And very brave enough in June, the 11th hour, to pass a Life Amendment um, here in PA that has to be voted on again in 2023. So it will be voted on again 
in probably January or February, early months of mm -hmm. 2023. And then Lord willing, you can see the, the process here, Lord willing, it'll hit our ballot box. So we'll, we'll be a ballot initiative uh, in the fall of 2023, where Pennsylvanians actually will be able to vote uh, whether or not they want their taxpayer money being used to support abortion. And so um, maybe you're wondering what the amendment is. Well, I put the language up here for the amendment. Uh, the amendment says this, this constitution does not grant the right to taxpayer-funded abortion or any other right relating to abortion. That's the simple language of the amendment that will be placed in our state constitution um, that people will be voting on. And so it's a big deal. Um, and so um, if you want to know, oh my goodness, there you go. If you want to know more, you can go to palife.org, palife.org to learn more about the Life Amendment. And uh, it's going to take everyone in this state, uh, all pro-lifers, even uh, those who find themselves in the middle road uh, to vote yes on this amendment uh, coming up. Uh, but Judge, you mentioned that, um, that pregnancy care centers are certainly... Uh, under attack these days, mm -hmm. and uh, it is sad because they're in media, and even recently we had a hearing in Harrisburg, which they invited, uh, mind you, no pregnancy care centers to the hearing, and yet uh, in the hearing they determined that pregnancy care centers were fictitious and dangerous to our society. In fact, uh, recently um, we had a U.S. senator from... Uh, New England area who mentioned that pregnancy care centers should be shut down um, because they are doing more harm than good. Um, and uh, here in PA, by God's grace, we have a nine to one ratio. So that means for every abortion clinic, there are nine pregnancy care centers here in this state which is just an amazing stat, and I would love to see that grow all the more because they are not fictitious, they're not harmful. In fact, they are doing literally the Lord's work. And so, um, Christina, I want you to talk about what your pregnancy, what Pathways does, um, but what pregnancy care centers actually do because I think people are confused. What does a pregnancy care center do? That's a great question. So not all pregnancy centers offer the same services. Some pregnancy centers offer STD, STI testing. Some pregnancy centers offer in-house ultrasounds. Some pregnancy centers offer pregnancy tests and parenting classes. It all depends on that center and their their goals at the time. Our center in Kingston, we have ultrasounds, pregnancy tests, parenting courses, post-abortive healing classes. We have so much support that we provide to the women that come in. So if a woman comes in, she's not sure of her options or she's even seeking out an abortion, she's able to get full disclosure on her options and all the support that she might not know that is out there. If a woman feels that, oh, I have to have an abortion because I don't have A, B, and C, we're able to say, okay, well, let's talk about what really is out there in the resources in the community that are there for you to help you and 
you know, if they choose to have an abortion, that is their choice. We cannot force anybody. We don't plan on forcing anybody to make that decision. Do we want them to choose life? Absolutely. And we'll do everything we can to support them and encourage them that direction. But unfortunately, if that is their choice, we still are there. We are still there to help them, to love them, and offer those post-abortive courses for them. Told me earlier that your clinic now has become medical. Amen. So, yes. Uh, what, yes. Do you, what do you mean by that? What does it mean to be a, a medical clinic now? So that means we'll be able to do the ultrasounds in-house. Each woman will be surrounded by life-affirming people, and that statistically, 80% of women who see the ultrasound will choose life. And you know, to top that off, that's, the that's amazing stat. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, a lot of women who have been to other clinics, not pregnancy centers, but abortion clinics, will let you know that they don't actually get to see an ultrasound. Even if one is performed, they don't get to see it. They don't get all the information. Um, so we let them see that ultrasound. We let them see exactly what's happening inside of them. Now, another politician from Georgia recently said that uh, heartbeats in the womb are just made up, uh, fictitious, if you will. Uh, and that's not true. You're doing an ultrasound and... They are able to see a heartbeat as early as five weeks, and I believe it's six days to be exact. So yeah, that, that, what that person said is absolutely false. Absolutely 100% false. It is definitely a heartbeat inside of there. Yeah. So... Um, it, it, and we have to have compassion because, um, you know, I, I think of these these young women, teenagers, some, you know, early 20s or whatever it might be, find themselves in a surprise pregnancy. And it is a challenging situation. Mm -hmm. And my, my heart breaks. In fact, our organization, our, our law team, uh, worked with a, a young girl last year, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. She becomes pregnant. She's living in a broken home. Uh, the boyfriend is saying, you need to get an abortion. Uh, her, his parents are saying, you need to get an abortion. Her parents are pressuring her to get an abortion. The only person that wasn't sure about the abortion was the girl. Here was this 14-year-old girl who, deep down inside of her, knew that, that, that this was a life that was inside of her. And was really bothered by the fact that, you know, um, she didn't want to have this abortion. But at 14 years old, you don't have a lot of freedom, right? You're getting, you're getting pressured. You're getting pushed. And so um, she uh, found her way to us, our organization. And she hired our law team. Now, get this. It's a 14-year-old girl who hires lawyers to protect her right to choose what she wants to do with this baby and not be coerced into an abortion. Now, nonetheless, like I think about that situation, and I have five girls. I have um, a 13 year old, 15 year old, 16 year old, and I think to myself, if they were in that situation, certainly a horrific situation. Uh, but this young girl was brave enough to get a, an attorney involved, and, and uh, we sent out letters to all the abortion clinics in PA and the surrounding states um, telling them, if you do anything with this girl, you're going to be in, in, in legal uh, trouble. And um, she went to a pregnancy care center and received a ton of care. Mm -hmm. People who 
loved her, encouraged her, said we are going to do all we can to, to give you the resources that you need. And praise God, the baby was born uh, this past January. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's amazing. But, you know, has it been easy for her? No, it hasn't. Um, you know, she's still living uh, with a family that wanted her to choose an abortion. So you can understand the family dynamic is probably still a little rough, and it is. Um, but, you know, she's getting the help that she needs. She needs to continue to go to school. And so she needs, you know, someone to watch her child. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go, that go into, into that. But um, she, she mentioned she wouldn't trade it for the world. She's so happy that she has her baby. And she chose to keep her baby and not put it up for adoption, uh, which we'll get into here in a little bit. So in regards to that, Christina, so, you know, tell us about a woman who walks into your clinic. You know, what is going through your mind? What's going through the counselor's minds? You know, what are you doing to help this uh, this individual? Or, or even, I mean, listen, it still takes two people to have a baby, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. There is still only two genders, by the way, um, <laughs> male and female. I know it's controversial to say that these days. Um, but, you know, so there, there's a mom involved and there's a dad involved, you know. Well, what are you doing to help that, that couple? So the first moment that the woman or the couple come into Pathways, the first thing we're going to do is have them sit down and have an assessment, see what their thoughts are, what their needs are, what their questions are. And one of our goals is that not only do they get the information and the resources, but that we can anticipate their needs that they don't even know that they're going to have yet so that we can really, truly become that community that we that we want to be, right? We want to be there for each individual woman and each family. Um, we have courses for families um, on, you know, from pregnancy to birth to terrible twos, because we all know that that happens. But they're not just for women. They're for men, too. They are highly encouraged to come and take that. And we are building a, um, a group of men. I'm looking around the room, too. Um, that will be... <laughs> somebody put their hand up. We're building a, a group of men that will be able to have men that mentor men. And so it's not yeah. just the women sitting there. And, you know, I was a single mom for eight years. I speak from experience in my life. I'm able to sit in front of these women and say, it's not going to be easy to be a mom. I'm not going to pretend that it is. But what I'm telling you is that there is help and that there is community and there are people who love you, who love your baby, and want to assist you in any way possible. And so that's really what we do from start to end of our relationship with each one of them. We become family. We absolutely become family to each one of the people that come in that accept our services. Yeah. I think that's important what, what you're saying about what you're offering for men because a, a common misconception is that a pregnancy care center is just for women, but yeah, kids not true. need dads. Mm -hmm. They need men uh, who are going to lead their family. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that you're doing that. And mm -hmm. men who are here, I would encourage you to talk to Christina tonight yeah. and get involved in that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. I, I've heard a stat somewhere that if the uh, if a woman who has an unplanned or surprise pregnancy, okay, um, she will go through with the birth if the birth father is encouraging her. Is I mean, do you know those so, stats? I don't know the stats, but yes, I have heard that before. It's, it's, a, that it's a massive number that yeah, most men, women. You have set. You have power. Yeah, absolutely. 
So if a, you know, and, and that's where the mentorship comes in, you know, you're encouraging these young men to, you know, um, to encourage the mom to, to, to care about life and to care about this child and, and then also parenting. I mean, you know, a lot of these men weren't ready for, <laughs> for this. I mean, they're, you know, this was unplanned. They weren't ready for this change in their life. And so we want to be there to, to help them. So, you know, the other thing that is, um, we often get charged with in the pro-life movement, and we have to think about this a little bit, that do we only care about the unborn, you know? That once, is a good question. And once I a love life that. is born, do we pretty much say, okay, you know, we don't have to care anymore. But you're saying, I just heard you say, up to the terrible twos. Explain so, that. So I laugh because our program... Our program is set up that if you take the parenting classes, you earn points that you could then use for diapers, wipes, brand new cribs, brand new car seats, high chairs. There, there are many, many items that a woman could, or a couple, can earn points toward that will help them. But once they hit that baby hits the age of two, they can continue to take our courses. We have budgeting. We have healing from past crisis. We have all different types. There's over 250 courses that they can choose from, and they can continue to come back to us. They would just no longer need the diapers. And if anybody has kids past two and they're still in diapers, you don't want them to be anyway. So, you know, up to that point, they're still family. They're still community. We don't just drop you. We don't say choose to keep your baby and then that's it. No, we are there for you. We are truly there for them in every way that we possibly can. That's very important. And I, and I know I want to switch to Mandy here because I know the work that you're doing is very much like that. You are here working with people who have needs. You're helping them to uh, gain the help that they need. And you're working with churches to accomplish that. So I want you to tell uh, all of us a little bit about Care Portal. What one, what is it, right? Um, and, uh, and what does it do? Hi. <laughs> um, so first off, uh, I know... By the way, you have the best hair in the group, sorry. Mm -hmm. but I am yeah. a hairdresser, yeah. so that oh, does go. matter. And it matches um, your shoes, by the way, which oh, you're very well coordinated. <gasps> Thanks yeah. for noticing. I actually noticed that you were wearing the same outfit in the video. <laughs> So, sorry, yeah, I, I, you know, mix it up next time. <laughs> or don't record. Are we recording? I don't even know. But um, thanks for noticing that I match. I didn't actually notice that. So, um, Care what Portal. What was your question again? Yeah, Care Portal. <laughs> Here we go. So, Care Portal, um, some of you may know of that if you attend this church or a local church in this area. Uh, Care Portal is the connection technique that we use. It's actually a technology platform, which when I say that, people are like, I don't know what that means. We use the internet to connect local churches with local needs. So the goal is, is that when there are families and kids in crisis in our community, the church is there to answer that call. Um, so many times we say, well, the government will do it, or the government has all of this help, but we are supposed to be family. God did not create the church to hand off our responsibilities to the government. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so we are reclaiming that. And so I'm so thankful for all of you being here because this is a conversation that doesn't just involve the pre-born baby. It involves the life of the mother. And when we hear some of the stories, um, we often think, gosh, if I was in that situation, what would I do? Um, who would wrap around me? I've, I've said for years, uh, my husband and I moved here 
17 years ago, and we had no family in the area. Our church became our family. Who did I call when I needed a babysitter? Who did I call when I needed, uh, you know, when my fridge broke or things like that? You call the people who you're closest with and the connections that you have. And so the church gets to be that to the hurting and dying in the world. And so when we get to say we want to be the answer, that's the most important thing. You know, we're not the answer for the the pre-born only. We are also the answer to that mother who is feeling hopeless or that father, that soon-to-be father who is saying, well, I don't have a voice. I just have to support whatever decision she makes. No, we get to wrap around them. Um, What does that look like? It could look like a crib. It could look like driving to appointments. Um, Poverty is a huge issue in every community across the nation. And I think when we think about where abortion clinics are, they're often in the heart of the city where people are the most vulnerable, Mm -hmm. sometimes through poverty, sometimes through you know, whatever, drugs, alcohol, things that keep people in that cycle of poverty. And so when we say we will go there, we will be the opposite. We'll get to give life and we'll get to support. And I'm not saying the church should just be handouts. I'm not saying that. But when you give, like Care Portal. So when the... Build those relationships. Build those relationships. When Care Portal actually gives an opportunity, here's an example, Um, uh, the caseworkers for child welfare or pathways, unplanned pregnancy centers, um, when they see a need, they get to put that request in. And when that request goes through Care Portal, it ends up going to churches. It could be Fellowship Church. It could be many of the other churches in the area. And somebody right there in the church can say, oh, I have a crib. Well, now you just got open access to walk into somebody's house that you would have never had the opportunity to step into. And you now have access to who they are, their story, what's happening in their life. And you can say, I will walk alongside of you. It might not go beyond dropping off something and you see them face to face, but it really could go beyond that where you end up building a relationship with them and you start watching their kid or you start inviting them to church. You know, you just never know what one opportunity can lead to. So, um, you know, this isn't just a conversation about um, a preborn child. It's, a, it's about so many lives. You know, one child, the impact that that one child has you know, thinking of that one ch- that's a mom, that's a dad, that could be grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, all of those people that are all around that one child, you know, just even in the, where that ends up, I always think of like the foster care system. I get to bless the caseworkers when I take a child. I get to bless all of the parents, the grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, whoever is associated with that child, we then get the opportunity to connect with them, to speak into their life, to be that hope of Jesus that they might not ever have found before. We've, we've seen God work in incredible ways with our relationship with care portal. Uh, Our church has been involved since it started here, uh, six years ago, five years, yeah, five or six years ago, five years ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love about it is that we can connect with other churches Mm -hmm in our region. So 
a lot of the requests are not coming from the back mountain area. Right. A lot of them are coming from Wilkesbury. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are churches like Restored Church out that mm -hmm. way where we can see the need mm -hmm. and we can get on the phone with one of their pastors and say, hey, there's a need near your church. We have that mm -hmm. thing the family needs, that bed or that dresser or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If you guys want to pick it up, you can take it. And then it gives the, the church, the big C church, the opportunity to then speak into the life of that family and make disciples, which is what we all are, are called to do, to make disciples. So, so that's just one of the things that I just love about what Care Portal uh, allows us to do, to have that relationship with, uh, with other churches so that we can minister, uh, be ministers of the gospel. That is a whole other thing too, is that it, it's not about one church. It's about Jesus. Yeah. And if we all learn to work together really well, um, what would that mean for a family who doesn't have a car? And they, oh gosh, I would love to visit Fellowship Church, but it's, I live, I live in Nanakoke. But what would it mean if, how we say it. If, if now Fellowship oh says, <laughs> hey, I know, I know Nebo Church down there in Nanakoke, and they're wonderful. Well, now they can walk there. And they're able to connect with this family that fellowship may have never been able to connect with. It's right in their backyard. Our goal is that we get families connected with local churches right in their area because poverty often separates um, people from being able to get to things that they need or um, go to places that they want to go. So if we can get them right there, there's a better chance of, of them being able to find the connection and resources that they need. You know, it's a, it's a great point. Uh, recently, I was speaking with a legislator who was talking, we were talking about the opioid crisis, right? And uh, this person, this legislator said, and, you know, I mean, surprisingly, although it was a good statement, uh, she said, you know, um, there's a lot of good government programs out there to, hope with, to help with the opioid crisis. And then she said this, but what government can't give, they can't give the personal interactions and the support they can't give the support group that these people really desperately need and i think the same goes with this people who are you know uh struggling financially or they find themselves in a surprise pregnancy and and they don't have the funds to buy all that you need yeah. for a child right and I, then I, not only do you provide the resources but then the church and all of us can provide the personal support that they really need yeah. i think something to really go back on all that is just sometimes they don't know what they need they can't say i need help with this because they're so in crisis whatever their situation is, they don't know what help is there for them. So for us to be able to say, oh, you know what? I think you'd really benefit from this, or I think I'm hearing you say this. Got that from you earlier during a conversation. Um, you, you always have wise, wise words around you. But if we're able to help them and meet those needs that they don't know that they have, it could really help them to be able to then Speak into somebody else's life. Help somebody else. Grow that testimony that God gives each one of us. Amen. So, Manny, um, how do churches get involved with you all? And can just individuals get involved? Uh, yes. Uh, there's so many ways to get involved. Um, if your church does not have Care Portal, um, just you could talk to me afterwards. Um, we'd love to get churches connected because um, it's just a great – it's – honestly just feeds 
the ministries that your churches are probably already doing. Um, it just expands it. Uh, also, as an individual, yes, you can sign on careportal.org. You can sign up as an individual. You can see the needs in your community right now live what they are, and you can fund them. You can request to meet that need. If you are an individual and you sign up, you will not be able to go alone unless you're connected with a church because we are very particular about how we uh, who we allow to meet the families that are recommended to us. So we would partner you with a local church in their area to go and meet that family. So even if you love Jesus and are a disciple of God, that's awesome. But we also need, the church actually is our oversight to make sure that the people that are connecting with our vulnerable, vulnerable families are not going to harm them. So we try to make sure that the church is the oversight. But as individuals, you can absolutely sign up. Um, you can see all those needs. It's also just a fun site to get on. You can see testimonials and hear about uh, what is happening in your community. One of the things that you said about the government just doesn't really have those personal things. Uh, one of the guys that we work with in the county, uh, he works for System of Care. He had said to me at one point, as far as I know, he does not love Jesus yet. Um, but he had said to me, Mandy... We need the church, he said, because we can have all of these programs, but one time I had a family and they needed to get to Erie to go and see a, uh, their child who is in a facility. And they said, we had all of these systems up to help this child, all of these systems set up to help this mom or this, these parents, it was a couple. But he said, I didn't have a system for somebody to volunteer to drive them to Erie. And he said it was the church that said, we will drive this couple to go and see their child. And they built such a beautiful relationship. And that's the thing. You know, we, we can't pass everything off to the government. They don't make good families. That's what the church is supposed to be. So we get to do that. We get to step back into that role to say, no, we are the family. And what does family look like? It means stepping out. It means serving. It means blessing. It means giving rides and, and supporting and babysitting and all of that stuff. We can't just be for that life until it's born. We have to be supportive all throughout its life and, and welcome them into our family. That's very good. And um, yeah, that's a great transition into foster care and adoption. And Manny, I know you have a real heart for foster care and adoption, even your own family, which is tremendous. So thank you for, uh, for doing what you're doing. And Judge, I know that you spent many years in juvenile court. So uh, both of you have lots of experience in maybe different realms when it comes to uh, adoption and foster care. And as we were talking earlier, uh, I want to hear from both of you, but Manny, I want to start with you because we were talking uh, earlier and you said uh, we really need the church to step up when it comes to foster care and adoption. What, what do you mean by that? Um, like I said, we like to see the stats of abortions going down, and, but there's still a life after that. Um, in our community, I will be very strong, I guess you could say, that there are already 580, the last time I checked, 580 in foster care right now, just in Luzerne County. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's not acceptable in my mind, and I don't think in God's either. Um, 
like I said, we get to invite people into the family of God. I, I've heard a brilliant man um, who is part of Care Portal, Bishop Blake, he said, you know, when you see somebody who needs to, to eat dinner, you just make a bigger table. You don't ask them to leave. You make another space at your table. And um, I am very passionate about foster care and adoption. My husband and I have been foster parents for 14 years, and we have adopted five. We have seven altogether. Um, and I, I love... I love how adoption just shows the heart of God, um, how he brings us into his family and he accepts us as his own and, and we're all so different and it's beautiful to see the diversity and the beauty of God um, in his family. But um, my family, as beautiful as it is, represents five other families that are not whole. And so it carries a lot of beauty and a lot of pain also. So understanding that we, as the body of Christ, you know, we are the ones that are cared or called to care for the orphan and the widow. And what does that look like in your life? I have no idea. But if there were, I don't know how many seats are in this room, but I believe that if we filled all of those kids, it would be more than the seats in this room. And if we were standing there face to face with them, would we say that we don't have enough room at our table? You know, what would it cost us to make a little bit more space? Or how do we support families who already are fostering, those who are already adopting? How do we wrap around them? Because it's hard. And not everybody is called to. I always say this, not everyone is called to foster and adopt. And if you're not, please don't. You'll be worse for the wear if you do. But many of us say, it's just not the right time. I just switched jobs. You know, you know, we have an opportunity. God's not going to force us to receive these blessings, these gifts. But it is that. It, they are gifts. They are um, in, they're our legacy. And how we care for this community and the kids in it will matter for generations to come. So I'm so sorry. I just like preached right there. So sorry. Um, but it just, it matters no, yes, so much. It, it matters. You know, I look at my kids and I just think, wow, I, people always say, oh, there's, uh, they must be so blessed to have you. No, I am blessed. Like they have taught me so much about myself and the heart of the father that I could have learned no other way. Judge, you, you said earlier as well, um, that when you were in juvenile court, that you often ask the question, where's the church? I asked that question, um, not only with regard to foster care, but also as it related to kids who um, very often start in the foster care system or start out as dependent children, meaning that they don't have proper parents under Pennsylvania law, and they end up in the delinquency system. And um, I ask the question because very often um, those kids who ended up in the delinquency system were disproportionately male, disproportionately um, black males, and I would see mothers sometimes, and I would see grandmothers and aunts. Rarely did I see a father. And then it occurred to me one day that kids who have a strong 
father in their lives usually don't come to juvenile court. And that's what prompted me to ask, where is the church? Because fatherlessness, and this is whether it's a girl or a boy, you know, children need two parents. They need fathers, um, especially young boys need fathers. And so that's why I would ask the question, where is the church? Yeah, because that's, that's what we're called mm-hmm. to do as, as Christians, is to, to care for the orphans, to right. care for the fatherless. And so that's an opportunity for, for the church to mm-hmm. step in in places like Pathways and with Care Portal and with the foster care system to either be dads to mm-hmm. these kids or encourage the biological fathers or whoever the father figure is to mm-hmm. be the kind of fatherly influence mm-hmm. that God has called them to be. And one, know, of, one of the things that we um, did, attempted and, and accomplished for a while is we, we had a birth parent mentoring project mm-hmm. um, because I found that a lot of young parents, you know, you know kids would girls would start out in the system as dependent children, and then they, at young ages, became parents themselves. And, you know, I've had many, many mothers who were in the dependency system, um, maybe because of addiction or some other uh, dysfunction in their lives, and they would say, you know, no one taught them how to be, how to parent. And um, I felt that in the church, a lot of the churches, we had a lot of retired school teachers and, you know, a lot of uh, older women who would raise their children, and they just needed to mentor Mm -hmm. some of these mothers. So I, I, you know, vision was to have a birth parent mentoring uh, program where people would just volunteer to mentor a young woman, teach her how to budget, teach her how to keep house, Mm -hmm. teach her how to cook, you know, so on and so forth. And so these are just ways that I felt that the church needed to step up to the plate because, you know, our kids are our future. And they are our most important or most valuable natural asset. Mm. And, um, you know, that's as, as, the, as this, the, we see a generation now uh, where the enemy and the forces of evil are really after them. Um, to indoctrinate them, to basically turn them away from their true source, which is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Christina, you were going to say something, I think. Yeah, going off of my own personal testimony, my own life, what I have lived, and the, the way I was raised, and the conversations that I have with women weekly, women and men are not in this situation because they want to be. They are not failing as parents because they want to be. It's because they don't know any better. It's because they're told, I'm actually getting emotional, I'm so sorry. They're told they'll they'll never be anything more than they already are. You know, you can't do anything but sell drugs. You'll never go to college. That is the life that I had as a kid. I, I knew, okay, well, you know, I know how to do this, this, and this. I'm really good at this. That's That's as far as I'll ever go. And I have women that come in that I talk to and I sit there and they're like, well, I just have to do this because I'll never be able to support them. This conversation right here, everyone sitting right here, 
this is the next step of being able to take care of those who don't see any better for themselves. Mm -hmm. We can tell them, we, you are worthy. That's right. We can help you get more. Like, sorry, I'm just getting emotional. No, no, that's, that's very good. I, I just, you know, I can tell you that I spent 13 years as a county attorney representing Child Protective Services in juvenile court and 12 years as a juvenile court judge. And most parents want to be parents, mm -hmm. to be good parents, and they want what is best for their kids. And most kids want to be with their birth parent, uh, no matter how dysfunctional we might consider that home to be. Um, but people do need help because they never learn to be parents. And, you know, parenting is, of, of all the challenges that I've faced in my life, parenting is the most challenging, you know, more so than anything. And um, people need help. They want help. They want to do the right thing. They want what's best for their children, um, even though, even if they are not in a position at that time to give it to them. And so, so the I think the church has to step up to the plate yeah. and be the church. So the, the argument you often hear from the pro-abortion side mm -hmm. is that we want abortion to exist because we want to keep kids out of an unwanted situation, one. Uh, we also don't want kids in an impoverished situation, two. And three, we don't want them in a broken foster care system that has tons of problems and causes all kinds of mental anguish and things like that. So, you know, I'm going to... I'm going to kick it down to you, Tim. Um, so how do we respond to, to that? You know, you know, do we really want kids, you know, in a, in a poverty situation? Uh, do we want them in an unwanted situation? Yeah, what's, well, our, what's our answer to that? Yeah, well, of, of course we don't want children to be in those situations. That goes back to what we're called to, to do as the church, to, to care for the, the children that are unwanted, to care for the orphans and like Mandy was saying if if we work together with each one of us serving the Lord according to how he's gifted us and the positions that he's put us in uh, whether that's you know serving as an attorney serving at a pregnancy care center whatever it is that God has called you to do wherever he's put you in life the scripture says Proverbs 24 11 we are to rescue those that are being led to slaughter so Wherever God has placed you, that's what, that's what you're to do. So there's a lot of different ways that you can do that, a lot of different tactics to prevent abortions and to give life to children. So wherever God has placed you where you can do that, do that. Prevent them from being slaughtered. Rescue those children. Did that answer your question? I feel like it didn't. No, it, no, it, <laughs> no, it did. It did. It did. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I, I completely agree, you know, and, and I, I think oftentimes what we hear in society, what we hear in media is that we want to keep kids out of these situations. And so, you know, uh, well, if you're going to force, you know, uh, women to have babies, then they're going to find themselves in these situations. Uh, the situations that we're talking about, yeah, there are some issues here that we're trying to trying to solve. Now, we as believers obviously know that death is not the answer 
life is certainly the answer. And we also know if we trust in God that God, you know, it's interesting, right? God talks about the, the, the birds of the air, right? God even cares about the birds in the air. He makes sure that they're fed. They make, he makes sure that they have what they need. Therefore, isn't it true then, how much more will he also care for us as humans? The pinnacle of his creation, right? And even though we might find ourselves and some individuals find themselves in an impoverished situation, to know and to cling to God is going to care for the poor. Yeah, He's going to care for those who are in need. And, and the other side of that is they don't talk about the trauma of having an abortion, what that's like for a woman after she has that. That's what, what they go through mentally, physically, emotionally after that is far worse than being in poverty. You know, and I, and, and really, Christina, you were earlier telling me the ministry that you have to women who have, or post-abortive ministry. Yeah, we have Surrendering the Secret. It's a post-abortive Bible study. It's eight week long and it, it it's, uh, it's a certified Bible study that they have that is strictly for women and there is a section for men who are post-abortive, who have made that choice and are struggling with it. And when a woman comes in and she's thinking about doing, you know, having an abortion and that's something that's on her mind, we do talk about how it is a trauma. You know, raising a child is not easy. No, a lot of times we, we focus on the, the difficulties that we're going to have, but you don't have to recover usually from being a parent. Is there, is, there's things that we struggle with absolutely, but a lot of times that grows us as individuals. And it, there, as Mandy was saying, there's so much to benefit as being a parent to somebody. But when you choose abortion, there is trauma. And sometimes that trauma doesn't show up immediately. Sometimes it's not until months or years later that a woman realizes that she's carried this with her that is affecting her life, and she comes to us. I was just speaking at a church a couple weeks ago, and I mentioned that we had the post-abortive healing by Bible study and a woman came up to me and she's like, you know, I didn't even realize that that affected me until you just said that right now. And I know now that is why I have been so depressed. That is why I have been so angry. And she went through the study and it, it, well, she's going through the study. And it's just wonderful. It's wonderful that people now know that it's not just an easy fix, that it's not just, oh, well, I'm just going to choose this medical procedure and it's going to be over, but that it can actually affect you long-term. And we're there to support post-abortive women as well. You know, when I hear people talk about, well, we don't want children to go through this and we don't want children to go through that. And, you know, these are, they're talking about quality of life issues. And quality of one's life, the quality of one's life can be altered or changed or adjusted. But abortion is final. In other words, you, you don't have quality of life issues if you don't have a life. And, you know, abortion is final. It results in death. And so as, as the church, you know, we, we can impact quality of life issues. And plus, we also have a responsibility, I believe, to teach young women and young men responsibility. 
you know, abortion it has been um, touted as a form of birth, or used, utilized as a form of birth control. And it's not birth control, where it shouldn't be, and it's certainly not health care. It's certainly not a medical decision, as some of our politicians would have us think. And abortion, as you say, has cons long-term consequences. People don't just leave an abortion clinic and everything is uh, rosy, peachy, peaches and cream. There are consequences, and, 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 and there is suffering, both physically, psychologically, and there are health conditions that um, result, that can result from abortion. Mm -hmm. And so this, this whole argument that um, we, we have to, uh, you know, you hear the pro-abortion, or I, I, I remember during the 2020 election, I think there was a group called Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden, and they talked about you know, we have to care about uh, people from the womb to the tomb. And they use that as a justification for abortion, which really means that you're taking the tomb to the womb. And, and you know, that's what you're doing. I you're like taking that. the tomb to the womb, and you're eliminating poverty and, and lack and the lack of medical care by eliminating people. And that's really what this pro-abortion movement is all about at the end of the day. So, you know, I, I just get very troubled by this argument. I also get troubled by the argument that somehow women's liberation and black liberation is connected to having the right to kill your baby. So, I just had to say that. Yeah. You know, this past uh, September uh, in Harrisburg, uh, we hosted an event along with the National March for Life, the Pennsylvania March for Life, and it was our second annual march. And um, even, even though we might not have a ton of people here, I, I want you to see the movement, however, that you're part of, uh, that yes, here in PA, there's people that really do care about life. Can I just jump in real quick, Kurt? Just to, uh, back to that question. Uh, you know, God has a, a plan and a purpose for every single human being. You look at Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. So before Jeremiah was even conceived, right. God had a plan for him. Amen. And you don't know the plan that God has for that child. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ was an unplanned pregnancy. You don't know what plan well said. God yeah. has Amen. for that child that is yet to be born. Although planned before the ages, obviously, but yes, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> but not Human, by Mary. Humanly not speaking, by Mary. Not, by Mary. not by Mary, that's true, that's true. So you, yeah. you don't know what the purpose is. And, and the issue of abortion is, it goes back to the garden, you know, we, we wanted to be autonomous. We wanted the right to make our own choice for ourselves to be God. Mm -hmm. And pro-abortion says that, you know, we, we know better than God. That's we right. know better than what God's plans are. So we have these hypothetical arguments about 
why abortion should be allowed. And that's, that's one of them. But the truth is, God is the one who has a plan for us. He is Amen. the one that speaks life into the womb and creates each person in his right. image right. with a plan and a purpose to glorify him ultimately. And that's why it's so important for us to make our, our voices heard and do yeah. all we can for the voiceless. Um, you know, those in the womb don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. uh, we are their voice. Uh, we are the ones who are to care for um, uh, the vulnerable uh, in this world. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why doing events like the March for Life uh, really are truly uh, important. So watch this little video, a recap video from our March for Life uh, here in September. Roe v. Wade in the United States of America. In my role, I've been able to work at the March for Life for over 10 years now. It is astounding to me how much we've been able to accomplish through rallying the grassroots. I absolutely believe in my heart of hearts that Roe v. Wade would not have been overturned if it wasn't for people marching for life. Now bask in this wonderful fact, Roe v. Wade has been tossed onto the ash heap of history. And today, this is the first state march for life anywhere since the overturn of Roe. And look at this turnout. Pennsylvania is pro-life. It's vitally important now that we have these state marches to be a voice for the voiceless and to work at the state level to advance the sanctity of life. What we've been marching in Washington for all these years now, we're marching in the state. And we in Pennsylvania are so proud and pleased to be able to do it here. And I'm so grateful to God that there were adults who came alongside my very young mother and saw value in my life. I'm so grateful to people like you who see value in the lives of people like me. And you're willing to stand up and be a voice for the voiceless and to fight for some of the most innocent people on our planet. Dr. Kermit Gosnell is serving three life sentences for delivering babies alive and then cutting their necks with scissors. Journalists tried so hard to cover up this story. And you know why they wanted to cover up this story? Because they don't want people to know the truth about abortion. People everywhere need to pay attention because I don't believe for a millisecond that Gosnell is an outlier. I think there is a, a massive effort in progressive America to keep abortion alive, to hide anything that might interfere with abortion.
we know that in June, the Supreme Court handed down a decision which overturned Roe v. Wade and returned the question of pro-life protections to the states. And so it's just a delight to be here with people in Pennsylvania today to do everything possible to protect the poorest of the poor, the most vulnerable, the unborn baby, and their moms. So how about that, huh? Isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, just like was said in the video, thank you for standing up for life. You think about all of us in this room, right? Our moms and dads chose life for us. We exist because others were pro-life. Others cared about life. Uh, and we, too, need to care about life. You know, when I think about uh, the church, um, well, before I move on, questions. If you have questions and they're coming through, we have some really good questions, so we're going to get to them. Uh, but one 1489 be texting those questions, and we're going to get to them in a little bit. Um, one of the things that... Um, that uh, is challenging within the church. And, and listen, I, I get this. The church, we should be talking about morality, right? We should be talking about righteousness uh, in our churches. Uh, we should be talking about sexual purity. However, we also must be talking about grace. Recently, I was talking with a pastor um, in an uh, inner city pastor, and he said to me, he said, I, I am, I am pro-life myself, but I'll never preach about it on a Sunday morning because there's lots of people in my congregation who have had, of abor had abortions, and I don't want them to feel shame. And I thought to myself, you're missing the point. You have the very thing that those individuals need. Can I actually butt in right there? You can butt in. <sighs> Somebody once said... Abortion is so bad that my pastor won't even talk about it. So there's women in the church who have had abortions who think their pastor won't talk about it so that what they did was so bad that it's unforgivable. You're not helping your congregation right. by not talking about abortion. You're not helping them by not talking about grace and how it, you have God. Yeah. You have God. Well, and, and the very thing I told that pastor was you are missing an opportunity to apply the gospel to people's lives. All of us in this room, guess what? We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And what we all need, even the individual, even the, the woman who finds herself uh, in a surprise out of, wed, uh, uh, out of wedlock pregnancy, needs to understand that the blood of Jesus Christ covers her failures and her sins. And church, we cannot shame people who find themselves in this situation. We need to love them. There is a, a, a wonderful ministry uh, that many churches around the country have been utilizing called Embrace Grace. Uh, and Embrace Grace is just a, uh, really, it's a, uh, it's a support group that churches can offer to people, uh, individuals, moms and dads who find themselves in this situation. And what they do is they come along pregnancy care centers and they have these things called love in a boxes. And I want you to just watch this little video that talks about it. 
The day I received love in a box, I had an abortion scheduled for the next day. My five-year plan didn't include an unplanned pregnancy, and I thought I deserved a chance at the life I planned, and it didn't include a baby. I was submerged in my own coldness. I had turned off my emotion weeks ago and hardened my heart. My mind was made up. My sister had gone through Embrace Grace, and she told me there were people praying for me, that I was stronger than the decision I was about to make. She assured me that I was capable and read a letter written to me from an Embrace Grace leader. Because of the encouragement I received from that love in a box, I couldn't go through with the abortion the next day. And after going through Embrace Grace, it felt like complete strangers had sat down and washed my feet. Embrace Grace helped me be brave. Love in a box saved my baby, and Embrace Grace saved me. You can help save more mommies and babies. You can help her be brave. Go to EmbraceGrace.com to find out more. So in these love and box, I don't have one up here with me, but um, I have a hard time with this clicker here. Go forward. Next, there we are, okay. So there's the box, okay? And you might not be able to see it. Uh, oh, you can see a little bit. There's a, there's a little onesie in this box that says, best gift ever. Okay, what does this box do? It gives a woman who is scared, wondering, can I do this? Is my life over? And all of a sudden, they receive this little box that has a wonderful note from the church that says, you can do this. God's going to help you. We're going to help you. There's agencies and organizations that are going to come around you and, and help you. You're not alone in this. But the onesie also demonstrates, it actually humanizes what's happening inside of them. That it really is a real life. You know, the pro-abortion side, you go to Planned Parenthood or you go to, you know, um, an abortion clinic. They're going to say, no, it's, 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 it's just a lump of cells, um, it's just a fetus, it's like having a miscarriage or missing your period, it's no big deal. But that little onesie says no. It tells the woman that what she really does believe deep down inside, that it really is, it really is a life and something to be cherished, something to be honored, something that has great value. Even if it came, even, even if this baby was conceived in something that was not... Um, uh, morally what she might have wanted. It has value and it needs to be protected. So, um, again, keep sending those questions in. Um, you know, one, one of the things that we dealt with um, about a year or so ago is that we heard that Iceland, um, Iceland, there was a report that Iceland did away with Down syndrome in their country. No more Down syndrome in their country. And they, they were talking about it as though this was a wonderful thing. Like, they have cured Down syndrome. Well, that's not what was happening. Uh, what they were saying was there was only, uh, I think they had um, uh, 98% or something like that of Down syndrome babies were being aborted. Down syndrome was not cured. Uh, we had a brave senator down in Lancaster County, Senator um, Martin, who said, no, that is so wrong. And so he put together legislation to say that um, 
you cannot have an abortion just because there's a diagnosis of uh, abnormality in the womb of Down syndrome. Um, and currently, Judge, I believe in our Control Act, you can't have an abortion solely based on the sex of a child. Is that correct? Absolutely. And so he was saying we also shouldn't be having abortions just because there's some sort of diagnosis in the womb. Correct. And some of those diagnoses aren't even 100% accurate, right? Absolutely not. Right. And so uh, he did this legislation. It passed through our legislature, and it ended up on the governor's desk, and the governor vetoed it. How many of you know a Down syndrome individual? Are Down syndrome people not the happiest people in the world? They give the greatest hugs, by the way. I'm not saying they don't have problems or things that they deal with in life. But that extra chromosome that they have, it must be the happy chromosome. (laughs) Because they view life in a much different way than most of us. Yeah, they probably have their down days like we all do. But I think they go through life with rose-colored glasses. And I want you to see this little video that we put together when we were actually working on this piece of legislation Uh, in our capital. Now that you can test for Down syndrome before birth, there are many experts in the medical community who will say this extra chromosome we carry around is not compatible with life. Not compatible with life? If you put your head up and look around, you will see Down syndrome is a life worth saving. Precious, those children. And Karen Gaffney, who is in the video, uh, she's made a lot of accomplishments in this world. Um, I think she swam across Lake Tahoe. Um, She's done so many uh, great things. And uh, she is a wonderful spokesperson for the Down syndrome uh, community. Um, When it comes to things like this, leadership matters in our country. Leadership matters here in our state. Uh, We want 
leaders that care about life. We want leaders that uh, care about passing pro-life legislation. Uh, in fact, we were so grateful that we had a Supreme Court that cared about life, right? That was good leadership in that moment to overturn over 50 years something that was decided incorrectly. That should have never been there. And even both sides agree that it was decided incorrectly back in 1973. So we do know that leadership does matter in our state. Now, unless you live under a rock, uh, there's an important day coming up on November the 8th. It's, uh, it's our uh, election, our election here in the state uh, where we have a number of important races um, and, of course, every election is important, and we should be good citizens, um, and we should be looking to vote to make sure that we have good leaders in our state. You know, and so why should we care about good leaders? Next slide. Oh, there we go. Oh, back one. Um, we want to care about leaders because we care about our world. That's why we want good leaders. We're called to seek the welfare of our city. We're called to seek the welfare of our world. And so, yes, we want good leaders who also care about our world. And two, righteousness. We care about righteousness in this world. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. These verses are not just for Christians especially the Proverbs 29 passage, right? When righteousness grows in our world, when we have righteous leader, leaders, guess what? That's good for everyone in our world. So even your neighbor who you might disagree on, maybe they're not believers, maybe they don't care about righteousness, the Bible tells us, no, we should care about righteousness because guess what? That is actually better for even the wicked in our world. That righteousness reigns. And we also know that when the wicked rule, people who don't care about righteousness rule in our world, it is bad for society, it's bad for our country, and the people groan under the weight, under the weight of immorality in our world, unrighteousness in our world. Is there a lot of groaning going on in our world, in our nation, in our states, in our communities? Yes. That's why it's important that we honor God this election season. God created the church for every moment of life. He calls each of us to a living witness as his hands and feet in our communities. The church honors God in those moments when we serve others, when we worship, when we work, and when we speak for those whose voices are not heard. In these moments, the church shines its light for our neighbors. And there is one more moment for that light to shine when our voices need to be heard. And now, in this moment, we must choose carefully, prayerfully. For this election, will you honor God with your vote? 
So in the back, we have uh, we have voter guides that you can grab. You can take a bunch of them. We, you can take a whole bundle, uh, and you can take them to your church or wherever to hand them out. It's a nonpartisan, church-friendly voter guide that you can get. And we just ask simple questions that we all care about uh, from the candidates uh, to see where they, where they stand on the issues that we were talking about um, here uh, this evening. But I do want to roll into some questions here. And um, there are some great questions. And the first question I think is really helpful since we're talking about government. So, Pastor Tim, this might not be a softball, Probably not. but should the standard for civil government be obedience to God? I'm not sure if I understand the question. But I don't know the person that asked, but I'll, I'll try to. Uh, so, so should, should the government, is, is the government called to obedience to God or to answer to God? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, God, God puts the, the, our leaders there. First uh, Timothy chapter two tells us that God put the leaders there for our good. And they are to do what is right for the people. And we are to pray for them so that people can be saved. So the, the desire for God for all men is that they would be saved. So we are to pray for our leaders in the hope that God will draw them to him and be saved and then govern according to God's standards. Right. And Romans 13 talks about those who are in government. How do they get in government? You know, a lot of politicians think you run a great campaign. It's all up to them and they get in office. Right. But really, God says in the scriptures that anyone who has authority in this world it's been given to them right. by god god is the one who's placed even <laughs> even the authorities we might not like in this world okay we have to pause understand the sovereignty of god and realize god's the one that put them into those positions now if god put them into position i tell legislators all the time if god's put you into this position then you have to give an account to him because in those verses in Romans 13, it talks about them as being ministers of God. They're called to carry the sword to deal with the wicked. And they're called to bless and encourage the good in this world. And so, um, yeah, they, you know, they, they do answer to God whether they know it or not. Or whether they do or not. Uh, the next question. My phone keeps turning off. Okay. Okay. Um, so for the judge here, uh, do you think there is a constitutional case for the federal banning of abortion, one, and two, do you think that would be the most effective way to protect life in the U.S. in the long term? Do I think that there is a federal... Uh... Is there a constitutional... Let's start with the first question. Okay. Do you think there's a constitutional case for the federal banning of abortion? No, that's why Roe v. Wade was overturned, because the U.S. Constitution does not confer a right to an abortion. And, and you know, I, I found it very interesting that when Roe was overturned, I heard a lot of leaders and politicians and even some pastors um, contrasting 
that ruling with the Second Amendment uh, decision that the Supreme Court handed down. But the Constitution is very clear that there is a right to bear arms, um, but it does not mention abortion at all. Now, can the federal government pass a law um, banning abortion? They can, but every law is subject to review and every law um, can, has to pass constitutional um, muster. And so basically what our, what our Supreme Court has said, this is not a federal question. You know, the federal government uh, through the, con the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion and the federal government has certain responsibilities and the states have certain, certain, um, authority, certain authority and responsibilities. And so what the Supreme Court has said is that this is a, a state's issue. As I said before, the federal government is attempting um, to pass a law called the Women's Health Protection Act which would guarantee uh, protection for abortion up to nine months, up to, the up, up to the due date of the pregnancy across the nation, thereby outlawing every piece of pro-life legislation. Um, I know that Senator Graham um, is attempting to pass a federal law which would not ban abortion, abortions outright, but would limit them up to a certain stage maybe 15 weeks, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it's just not a federal question, and that's what our Constitution, I mean, that's what our Supreme Court has held. When, um, oh, here's the other question for you, Judge. Um, the decision of uh, the Allegheny Reproductive uh, Health uh, case, um, they're hearing it on the 26th. When do we might expect a decision on that case? That's a good question. Um, it, it could be, it, it's hard to say. It could be a year, it could be six months, it could be less, it could be two years. I mean, it, it's really not something that any of us can predict. The Supreme Court does not have a, a time limit. I mean, I've seen them sit on cases for a long period of time. So I can't, I can't really um, answer that question as to when we might expect a decision. I think that if they were to decide it on um, procedural grounds like the Commonwealth Court did, it could come a lot more quickly. But it's, it's hard to say because they don't have any requirements. Um, since they were seeking injunctive relief or you know, it, it's just hard to say. Can't predict that about the Supreme Court. I've sure. seen them take forever <laughs> to make decisions. And actually, this matter has been before them um, since sometime in 2021. And they, they, they're just listing it for argument. And I think they were waiting, I, I suspect that they were waiting for the federal court decision um, in the Dobbs case before, right. before they scheduled it for argument. Uh, oftentimes people will say that if we ban abortion, it'll be dangerous for women uh, because women will not be able to get the help they need for ectopic pregnancies. 
Um, I don't know if you want to speak uh, to that or judge if you want to speak on that. Yeah, well, I mean, as far as the law is concerned, you could absolutely answer to that. But an ectopic pregnancy isn't an abortion. Um, ectopic pregnancies cannot survive. And a lot of the medical professionals will monitor a woman who is pregnant with an ectopic pregnancy and wait until that moment that there is no longer a life before they perform a medical procedure on her. Um, now, there's there's a whole bunch of other you know topics we can go into when it comes to that. But if you take the pill that would cause an abortion and you have ectopic, that is extremely dangerous for a woman. So there's just, there's so many bad things going down the, the, the abortion route. But uh, when it comes to ectopic, that is not an abortion. That is not so, a woman choosing to have a baby removed. That is a situation where that baby is no longer alive before they remove and it's not, it's not a viable pregnancy. No, it's not a viable pregnancy. And that's the difference, right? Correct. And the ultrasounds that we provide confirms an intrauterine viable pregnancy. It's going to confirm that the baby is within the uterus and a dating uh, ultrasound to see how far along she is. So, yeah. Abortion, and, and first of all, I, there, as we know, that after the, um, this, after the road decision, um, there were some... So pretty serious, uh, pretty restrictive abortion, uh, abortion measures enacted by several states. But there is not a single state in this country, there's not a single law that does not um, address or take into consideration um, ectopic pregnancies, miscarriages, or any other uh, pregnancy complications. In fact, there are more than 600 um, Catholic hospitals in this country, and every one of them, uh, not one of them would, would give an abortion, a woman an abortion, but every one of them treats ectopic pregnancies, uh, women who have miscarriages and other pregnancy complications. And um, numerous, over a thousand doctors, I mean obstetricians and gynecologists have signed a pledge saying basically that abortion is never necessary to protect a woman's health. It just isn't. Now, a woman can experience a complication which in order to treat that complication to save that woman's life may result in, in a child, uh, a pregnancy being interrupted uh, before the child is viable, but that's not an abortion. An abortion is the intentional ending of a pregnancy for the express purpose of avoiding a live birth. It's a question of intent. And it is not medical treatment it is not health care. You know, health care, the purpose of health care is to heal people, and the purpose of abortion is to kill. And, you know, they can talk about pro-choice. Pro-choice to do what? They never want to finish the sentence. What, is the, what are you choosing? You're choosing to end the life of an unborn child. That's what abortion is, the intentional ending of the life of an unborn child. 
has nothing to do with treating an ectopic pregnancy. As a matter of fact, up until the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood's website right. actually made it very clear that an atopic pregnancy does not involve an abortion. Now they've scrubbed that from their website because they want to push this narrative. They're actually, and a certain politician we know from Georgia, who- um, The same one I mentioned earlier? The same one you mentioned earlier, is, is actually spreading the narrative that pregnancy is more dangerous to a woman's health than abortion. And that's just insane and it's dishonest, and it's a lie. Well, we have a, many more questions than we have time for. We want to be sensitive to your time uh, this evening, and, um, and so I wanted to end with uh, Pastor Tim. If you could uh, close us with a few thoughts and then pray, and we'll conclude uh, our evening. Sure. Yeah, I want to, uh, Your Honor, if I could, um, Cheryl. Uh, I, I, you reminded me of, uh, there's, there was a Planned Parenthood pamphlet in the 50s. Uh, it was an informational pamphlet about contraception. And what, there was a question in there, and it said, is this abortion? And in the Planned Parenthood literature, it says, no, an abortion is a procedure to kill a baby after its life has begun. In, in Planned Parenthood literature. So they know they know that this is a baby. And uh, I just think about Romans chapter 1, the argument that um, it's, not, it's not a life until a certain point. We, we know life begins at conception. And I think everybody knows that. I don't think there's anybody in 2022, how far we've come medically, scientifically. General revelation shows us that this is a life. And Romans 1 tells us that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And it goes on to say that they, they no longer worship the creator but they worship the creature. They, they make themselves gods. And this passage tells us that they, they know the truth, but they suppress that in their unrighteousness to do what it is that they want to do. And that's what it really comes down to, yeah. is people, people just want to do what they want to do. So there's, there's these arguments for uh, abortion because of all these things that we're talking about and a, a bunch of other reasons that they give us. But... What it comes down to is people just want to have abortions. They want to do what is evil in the sight of God because by, by nature, we, we care about ourselves first. You go back to the garden. Adam and Eve were tempted to eat the fruit that God told them not to eat because the serpent told them, God doesn't know better than you. Eat this fruit. You'll be like God. You will know good and evil, and we just wanted to, to make up our own minds, and that's where we're at today. And so we need to continue to do things like this, and again, whatever, whatever 
position God has put you in, in this world, however he's gifted you, whatever your vocation is, use that to be a voice for the voiceless, to rescue those who are being led to slaughter, because this is, this is one of the most important issues of our time. We cannot allow this to continue. So thank you, Kurt. Thank you, uh, Judge Allen and Mandy and Christina for being here this evening. Let's, let's just give a, a hand to, to our participants. And uh, I do want to encourage you as well. Uh, there is a care portal table and a pathways table and PA family has a table as well. Uh, check those out before you go. And then we do have the cafe available. So stop there, get a, a drink and a refreshment uh, and some baked goods. And I think there's some cheesecake too. So check, check that out. Uh, but uh, let Bef me close with some prayer. Before you pray, can I just say just one thing and then I want you to pray. Um, you know, you can walk away from this thinking, oh my goodness, there's so much to do. And there's so many things that I could get involved in. Let me just say this. Don't be overwhelmed. Trust the Lord. Maybe he's putting something on your heart tonight and what you can do. Maybe it's volunteering for the local pregnancy care center. Maybe it's, you know, hopping onto the care portal. Or maybe it's going back to your church and saying, hey, I think we can do an Embrace Grace group. And, or I think our church should be involved in care portal or, or, or whatever it is. Or maybe, yes, I, I want to make my voice known for the voiceless. No matter what it is, just take one step. You don't need to do it all, right? One step, one foot in front of the other. My goal for these events is to not overwhelm people with all there is to do or all that we can do. My goal has always been, much like theology, the understanding of God should always lead us to doxology, praising God with our lives. My goal for these events is that the more we understand about what's at stake, the more that we understand the sanctity of life, the greater desire we will have inside of us to do something, to live that out. And that's my goal for these events. So please pray. Father God, help us to, to live that out. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And who is our neighbor? It is the mother. It is the child in her womb. Each one of those lives are valuable to you. We are created in your image and every single person in this world, whether they are in the womb or outside of the womb, they are created in your image and they have value, they have dignity, they have worth in your eyes. So help us to see each person as you see them, to love them as we would love ourselves and continue to use us to be a voice for the voiceless in this generation. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you.